I'm Matana DeWitt, joined by Dr. Drew Johnson. Welcome to Discover Your Roots, a podcast that will give you tools for understanding and applying the wisdom of the Bible in your own context. In this season, The Problem of Good and Evil, we're digging into the topic of good and evil, finding new and maybe unexpected ways to think about it and respond to it. Let's get started. In the episodes of season two, The Problem of Good and Evil, we discuss some heavy topics and instances of evil that can be disturbing, especially for those who've experienced related trauma. We advise caution among listeners. If you find that you need help or support as a result of listening to this podcast, please consult the resources listed in the show notes. All right, welcome back everyone to episode two of season two of the Discover Your Roots podcast. We are talking about uh, what is good today. So I'm just going to jump into it. Drew, what is good? (laughs) The way the question's worded, on the streets in Newark, they say, what's goody? Uh, Okay. Which means kind of like, what's up? Uh, What's goody, Drew? Yeah, what's good? What is good? Um, so good is like, it's got this aspect throughout scripture that we'll, we'll talk about, but it's, it's, you know, maybe the, the better word in English is well, like we talk about well-being, um, well visits for your doctor. It's probably something closer to that being well, which begs all of these questions or sorry, it raises them, not begs them. But, um, the, uh, like well seems to entail something like things being properly functioning, right? So a well check is to make sure your heart and your lungs and blood and everything are working the way that they're supposed to. Kind of um, reminds me of the, like, whenever the Lord tells the people of Israel that it may be well with you, like, yeah. follow his commands that it would may be well with them. Yeah, so good and well um, all include a whole system of things uh, that have to kind of work together for the good of those who uh, love, right? So it's um, it's more holistic, if I can use I mean, I think we know what that term means now, but it's more holistic. It's functional as well. So uh, it's not, there is this thing as, it, like with evil, it's not just this thing over here that's good and it's always good and you can just now therefore um, bring it into your life and it brings good into your life or something like that. Um, you think about Instagram life. Um, I have no idea what I'm talking about right now, but (laughs) my caricature of it in my mind is, um, you know, you want, or YouTube, but maybe that YouTubers, like they want to bring other more popular YouTubers into their YouTube feed, which just brings more popularity. And that's actually kind of an honor shame view where you just, you gain honor by bringing things that have honor into your circle. And I think we often do that with good as well. Like just get something good, bring it into your life and that that's good. So if you want to be healthy, drink eight cups of water a day. You don't need eight cups of water a day, actually. Every doctor will tell you, but because um, you get like five cups of water a day through your food. Um, but Coca-Cola wants to sell you water. So they'll tell you uh, you need eight cups of water a day independent of all that stuff, right? <laughs> uh, National Institutes of Health says, no, you actually get it through your food. You're good to go. Um, but that idea that you just bring a practice into your, you just bring, <clears throat> excuse me, an object. You just, it used to be a Bible, right? You just, uh, the family Bible in the 1800s, everybody had a family Bible in their house. Nobody read them. They're all like uh, gold gilded on the outside. The pages have not been turned. Um, but it was like a token of Christianity, which you had a family Bible in your household. So, uh, so scripture is going to do something very different uh, with, with good. Okay. Do you have any examples of how we, how we see good 
what we think about good, how we interact with good on a daily basis, maybe even some of our misconceptions about good? Um, I feel like the wellness of things, especially for Americans who live kind of fairly opulent lifestyles compared to everybody else throughout history and, and even today in the, in the world, um, talking about good is, is like talking to fish about water, you know, like it's, it's so pervasive, um, that it's difficult for us to understand that it surrounds us constantly. So when I used to teach philosophy of religion, sorry, everything comes from philosophy of religion here, but, um, <laughs> You have, you have the classic, the problem of evil, right? You have a God who's all powerful, who's all loving, then why does evil happen, right? Uh, why do bad things happen if there's a God? Either God is not strong enough to stop it, or he's not actually all loving. He wants it to happen to people. Uh, so the biblical authors, obviously, are going to complicate that problem. Uh, but Scott Peck, along with a lot of people, have pointed out, um, well, why don't people have a problem with good? Like, okay, wh what is unique about evil that makes it so problematic for people. Why don't people wake up and go like, oh my goodness, I had a good night's sleep. Like, why did God let that happen, right? Well, how could he? How dare he? Well, I got to work on time. I have way more calories in my life than I need. And while there are people you know, starving out there, how could God let this happen, right? Um, so we actually kind of take good for granted that things should function, that marriages should work, that people should be healthy, that, um, that Time should go by breezily without, you know, any discontent. And it's only when something specifically bad happens that we label as bad. Uh, now, this is the important part. We discern that it's bad. We label it as bad that we start questioning God. I've got a story if you want to hear it. I would love to hear a story. Uh, okay. So this is my embarrassing me questioning God. I think I was in seminary at the time. Uh, so, yeah, I had a moment where I questioned God. It was literally a moment. Um but it's not what you think. Uh, so <laughs> I went to the, the doctor to get, like, I had a problem with my toenail, my big toe. And um, they can uh, chemically cauterize part of the toenail bed so that my toenail didn't dig into my, uh, my toe and create all kinds of problems for me. So it's a very simple procedure. So simple. The doctor said, hey, we have a medical student here. Do you mind if we let her train on oh, you? Oh, no. And I was a student at the time, so I'm just like, <laughs> I'm all about training. I'm all about education. <laughs> yeah, sure. No problem. And my wife was there, too. And she's a you know a critical care nurse, so she knew. And and I remember distinctly feeling this uh, young woman jamming a cotton swab into my toe. I remember seeing my whole foot from how hard she was jamming it up into this little crevice in my toe. And if you're squeamish, you might not want to listen to this next part. Um, but it had this cauterizing, I think, silver nitrate or something that burns. So, but they had given me some anesthetic in my toe. And when I got home, the anesthetic wore off. And all of a sudden, I was just feeling the most intense pain I've ever felt in my life. Um, and it was constant. It wasn't like throbbing or in waves. It was just like 100% all on uh, for hours. And to the point where I couldn't, I was, my stomach was sore from breathing shallow breaths and trying to like just maintain the pain. And my wife's calling the doctor going, what ha something happened here? So eventually, she brought me back into the doctor's office. Um, and I mean, I was in this period. I was laying in my bed. I remember exactly where I was at. I was in my bed in the dark. And I was cutting deals with God at first. Like after 20 minutes, I was just like, all right, God, you, like you take this pain away from me. Like I, I will do nothing but study, you know, and I, I will do these great things. Um, and after like an hour, I was just like, 
are you even real? Are you there? Like, what, what is going on? Uh, and, and apparently I was told later that nerve pain, like pain of the direct nerve is some of the most intense pain. And I, I, I believe it. So if you know anybody with nerve pain, God, pray for them uh, immediately. Um, and that, but it went on for eight hours total. And then when I got to the doctor's office, I mean, I was nauseous. My, I couldn't, my stomach had like, like my stomach muscles couldn't support my breathing anymore. He chemically paralyzed my toe. He just shot it full of liquid. So it was like paralyzed, couldn't feel a thing in the toe. And I swear within five minutes, I'd completely forgotten about the toe. We're on our way home and I'm like, hey, stop by McDonald's. Let's get something to eat. I was like back to normal so quickly. I was not sitting there thanking God that he had, you know, like provided these chemicals to help me. And, you know, like somebody, you know, who didn't have modern medicine would just have to be sweating this out for days or whatever. It was amazing how quickly I forgot that life is just good and normal. Right. And so um, that to me was one of those things that I reflected back on constantly and thought, why didn't I think that that was a serious problem on God's part? Uh, I thought that I was entitled to the goodness of regular life, like right now, where I have no toe pain, you know, for 25 years. Um, so when we talk about good, I think there's both like uh, good and bad, and bad brings problems for us. But we're really talking about what do we discern as good and bad, and why is pain like one of those things that uh, emotional pain and physical pain are one of those things that nobody has to interpret as bad. It's just mm. automatically known by everybody. Wow. So that's what you would call the problem of good. <laughs> yes. And and by the way, there there is no philosophical answer to this question. So there's no philosopher out there that has nailed why pain happens and why we think pain is bad. It's just one of those things where you just go, yep, it's universal. Just, just everybody is, has yeah. to deal with it. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. So why do we need to understand what is good? Like in the context of this whole conversation, obviously we're talking about good and evil, but what does... What needs to happen to our understanding of good in order to be able to understand evil as we move forward in these conversations? So good and evil do get set uh, opposed to it, not opposed to each other, but in combination. So we'll talk about the tree of knowledge of good and evil in a bit. But um, so they are con they're not contrasted with another, but they are put in light of one another. Um, so there. You know, I, I hate to say there is any ultimate good in some sense, this side of the new heavens and new earth. Um, but we do have to think about, I mean, like with when we label things as evil, same thing we label things as good. We have to say like, okay, why is it good? I mean, I've got, you know, 21, 20, 19-year-old and 16-year-old, and they tell me all kinds of things that they think are good. And I'm like, but are they? <laughs> or, or, you know, some practice they've picked up where they're like, no, this is good for me. And I'm like... Hmm, okay. I mean, I'm just, you know, biting my tongue, uh, choosing my moments, right? So there is a sense in which, unlike pain, emotional pain and physical pain, good really has to be carefully discerned, right? Because lots of people think that they are doing really good, uh, good things out there in the world. And some of the, I mean, there's famous books that have, When Helping Hurts by Brian Fickert, right? When people have gone into majority world countries thinking they're helping people or like the Tom's shoes thing, you know, where they buy one pair here, you give a, a pair to a child in Africa. And it turned out it created all kinds of devastating problems for the very people they were trying to, to help. So uh, a naive sense of good can actually do damage to the very things that you're trying to avert. So, wow. Yeah. It's an interesting blend of like good and evil, good intentions actually having an evil effect. So it's right. not a, actually separate from each other. Yeah, it can have a disastrous outcome. And mm. we've seen it over and over and over. So. Wow. 
So I guess a good place to start would be what the Bible says about good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, when does the word good first enter the Bible? Well, I think most people know, like Genesis 1, it's, and he saw that it was good, it, which is really interesting. It's tov is the word there. So if you've been to Israel, certainly somebody <laughs> in the morning greeted you with boker tov, right? Which is good morning, erev tov, good evening, right? Um, yom tov, good day. So uh, that they're just using it in the same way that Americans use or Australians, good day, right? Uh, it's just it's like it's just a greeting, but that's that same word tov uh, that gets used there, and it's God saw that it was good. That God saw that it was good. It's a rhythm. He saw that it was good. He saw that it was good, and at the very end, he saw that it was tov meod, very good. Um, and so we think of that as kind of the the crowning of of creation is that he looks at it all and it's very good. And then interestingly, he makes the man out of the dirt, the dirtling, uh, and he looks at him and he says, Lotov, not good, right? So it's a very striking contrast there in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. It's good, 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 very good, and then not good. And then the uh, solution to not good, as we all know, is the woman. Mm. Hmm. So what is the difference between good and very good? Um, well, People think different things on this, so it is an interpretive issue. But um, some people would say, uh, you know, I even translate it just to get people in the, in the mind, uh, mindset. Tov me'od uh, could be like great, right? Uh, exceedingly good is how some people might uh, put it. But so the question in creation is, is it tov uh, me'od because it's the completion of creation? Or some people say, well, it's only after humans are created that it's exceedingly great. So humans are the thing that he's saying that are exceedingly great. Um, I think it can be both of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, Almost like the whole is better than the sum of its parts, yes. as they say. Yep, yeah, the holistic, yeah, that's mm-hmm. a good way to put it. So, which gets into the issue that goodness is functioning holistically mm-hmm. the way it's supposed to work. So. Interesting, interesting. So what do you think it means to do good? I know we, we talk about like, it's great to talk about these things, but then what do we actually do with it? So yeah. kind of going straight into application here, uh, what does doing good look like? Yeah, well, Bill and Ted and uh, their excellent adventures once said, be good to one another. Uh, but yeah, what does that actually mean to be, to be good? I, I like that you say do good because I think that's probably closer to what's going on in Scripture. Uh, the first example, I mean, it's a negative example, but you can learn things through negative examples. Um, the is with Cain. So this, we saw good, 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 very good. Not good that man is alone. Woman solves that problem. You have Cain. Um, and then God comes to Cain before he's done anything, right? So he's suffering as a slave to the dirt, uh, he's suffering the curses of the man. Um, unlike his brother, who's become a shepherd, which we're like, can you even do that? Is that legit? Uh, he he actually does the Lord's work and 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 the man's work. He's a slave to the dirt, which means he's suffering from the curses. Um, and God comes to him not to talk about his sacrifice that was not favored. Doesn't come and talk to him about the suffering that he's having. He comes and talks to him and, and he says, "Hey." If you do good, do well, see, this is why I say do good sounds like do good deeds. But if you do well, um, then you'll be fine. But sin is crouching, right? It's, it's like ready to pounce on you. Um, it's desires for you, but you must rule over sin. And, and see, so you're like, what is this all about? If you were just reading this for the first time slowly, sentence by sentence, you'd just be like, what? what is he even talking about? Why didn't he mention the sacrifice? 
And then the next sentence is, and Cain took his brother out in the field and killed him, right? And you're like, oh, okay. Uh, so not doing good is apparently plotting murder against your brother. Um, and and again, this gets at that kind of disaster. So is it evil that he did it? Yes. Did they lab- label it as evil? No. He labeled it as you should have been doing well instead. Um, and the opposite of it is it, it it's a disaster. It's a disaster for Cain, who's who works the dirt, but now he's going to be forced to wander. So he can know, you know, he's an agriculturalist, but he can't do that anymore. He can't grow crops. Um, his children are going to be murderers. They're going to be, you know, he he deliberated and killed his his uh, brother, but his descendants just kill a man for uh, for striking him. Right. So you have this kind of like descent into violence in Cain's line. Um, they also invent musical instruments, so do with that, <laughs> do with that what you will. Um, but but the question comes back to, well, what did God have in mind? What does doing well here mean? And it it doesn't, I don't think, mean you should have brought the right sacrifice because that's an issue that gets dealt with later in the Torah. Um, and it doesn't mean don't kill your brother, right? I, it means at least don't kill your brother, but he seems to have something more holistic in mind. There is something really messed up here. Um, but if you turn and kind of become this other thing, um, then we don't have to worry about you. Um, but we, we realize God's, God's uh, coaching is completely inept, right? It doesn't work at all here. So, so even if God comes and takes a knee with you and coaches you through a very hard time in your life, you might still completely ignore him and, and do the thing that you're going to do anyway. So, mm. yikes! Well, <laughs> not you, Matana. I mean, that was the universal you. Well, even the universal you is a little bit ominous, huh? Mm. <laughs> um, wow. Okay, so we talked about the word tov meaning good. Are there other examples in the Hebrew scriptures that, like, other ways that good is conceptualized that we can explore? Um. I think the main concept, and you've heard it here, like you can hear it bleeding through what I'm saying is tov means like things doing what they're supposed to do, things being what they're supposed to be. Even in a fractured, you know, east of Eden, we like to say everything's kind of broken. It does, nothing works the way it's exactly supposed to. Um, but even then, things are supposed to function in a certain way. So no marriage works exactly the way it's supposed to east of Eden. But we expect that there are ways that marriages can work. And that's what the biblical authors would describe with this word tov, uh, to be well. Um, they have some other words that they could pepper in there as well. But tov is, is, is a strong one uh, in the language. But it really means, you know, a, a, a tov engine is one where all the parts work together and it and it does what it's supposed to be. A tov marriage is the one where even though it's fractured and even though an engine will break as well, um, it it does the things that it's supposed to do along the way. Um, so it's a very functionalistic term uh, that they seem to be indicating. It, however, is not a simple term. So you say things like, okay, I... I I've been married 25, 24 years and have a family, like even my small family, it's not easy to do, right? It requires a lot of work, discernment, um, thoughtfulness, lots of practices, uh, including like doing, so if God were to come to me today and say, true, you're a schmuck, but if you just do well, right, it, don't you know that sin won't pounce on you? So do well there, well, I can tell you right now, will mean like, Doing the dishes regularly, uh, cleaning, you know, picking up my laundry after myself, uh, doing the laundry as well, like, like doing all the little things, sitting down, taking time to have lunch with my son and talking about him and his relationships. Like it's, it's a lot of little things. So it's mm-hmm. a very holistic sense of, of mm-hmm. wellness. 
That makes sense. And also it brings to mind that I think a lot of us think of good being a good person as almost being heroic. Like there's these big climactic acts, actions or um, choices that are made that kind of define you. Um, But it's interesting that sounds like that the Bible is actually telling us that it's the, it's the collection over time of all the little things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. So many little things. Yeah. In Judaism, they have a term I love uh, that you would say, like the highest compliment that um, maybe you wouldn't say it to me, but uh, a man might say to me is like, Drew is a total mensch, which actually sounds like a put down uh, out of context, but uh, it's, it's, it's actually German for a man. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh it really means like you're a person who takes care of all of those little things and you do and you look out for people and you do all of those little things like he's a like a true friend mm. nobody's ever called me a mensch now that i think about it but i hope one day <laughs> one of my list. jewish friends will be like drew is a mensch yeah <laughs> you have to let us know it, when that it happens. really does sound like a put down now that i say it like in this room but it's not it's like the highest compliment you can possibly get you wow. do what you're supposed to do psalm 1 um Blessed is you know, uh, blessed is the man who doesn't do all of these things, and but then, but then does these other things. It's interesting. What is he like? He's like a tree planted by streams of living water who bears fruit in season. It's not. He's not a super tree. He doesn't bear fruit out of season and in season. It's like no. He's just a well watered tree that does what he's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good, uh, good illustration of tov. Mm, makes sense. Are there any other words besides tov that would help us in fleshing out concept of good? Or do you think tov is like the main one that we can use moving forward? Um, certainly I would add, well, in Psalm 1, it opens up with, uh, I know it's often translated blessed, but it actually is ashrei, which means something like um, prospering or flourishing, as one of my friends likes to translate that. Happy is the man, that's the other one you could say. Mm-hmm. Oh, happy is the man who doesn't stand in a way, sit in the seat, but he's... Uh, his delight is on Yahweh, and on his Torah, he meditates day and night, right? Meditate doesn't mean going off in the distance and sitting on top of the Torah and thinking about the oneness of it. Um, yeah, it means you're really grumbling through uh, the instruction of God and all those little aspects, being becoming a mensch, maybe mm. is the way we could say it. Like um, chewing on it over and over. Chewing, and yeah. Staying with it, yeah. Uh, muttering is the word I like to use because mm. um, it's onomatopoeia. It's it's meant to sound like what it is, uh, haga, this term that means meditate. So it's not, again, our cultural notion of meditation, which comes from kind of the Far East view uh, of meditation, but... Um, yeah, it's this actual, like, there's a lot of things that you need to be taken care of, and this the instruction of God puts all of these pieces together, but you need, you chew on them, right, uh, as you go about your day. So uh, so that would be Ashrei, um, certainly Barach, uh, so we had a president named Barach, so Blessed, um, which is a very popular name in East Africa, Blessed, for, or Blessing, or Blessed for a first name, uh, which is Barach. Um so the, God doesn't command the humans to be fruitful and multiply and take dominion of the earth. He blesses them to. Uh, he blesses the creatures uh, to be fruitful and multiply. So blessing has this very physical sense uh, to it that, you know, if you want to bless somebody, you don't, it's not a spiritual issue. You don't, when they sneeze, that's not an actual blessing. If you handed them a $20 bill when they sneeze, that would be Hebrew blessing. Um, so... But blessing is kind of tied in with that happiness, flourishing, prosperity. Um, it, it's an acknowledgement that things are going the way they're supposed to. They're supposed to, even in a broken state, and that's as, as good as it gets. Um, and then, <clears throat> excuse me, 
I would throw in this term shuv, which we talked about in a previous episode, to turn. So when things aren't going the way they're supposed to, and I, and I mean that it has to be discerned, um, then they, the prophets will later say, turn, turn from your ways, turn back around, turn to Yahweh, right? And it's both physical and metaphorical. Like come to his, come to his holy habitation, his house, offer him sacrifices, be uh, atoned for your sins, have your sins covered um, by the sacrifice, uh, and then, then you can be in his presence. Uh, and if you're not willing to do that, God in your presence is the thing that creates happiness, flourishing, prosperity. So all of that instruction, it all works together, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a, it's a me- I hate to say mechanism because that sounds bad, but <laughs> it, it is a mechanism where everything has to work together. And if anybody's been in a family, anybody who's been born uh, <laughs> and has had a relationship with another humanoid uh, <laughs> knows that there's a whole, it's a whole system of things that need to go well and that require work and they require attentiveness and focus mm-hmm. and and discipline, et cetera. It's interesting. I was talking to a friend the other day about um, individualism <laughs> in America and um, just Are how— Are Americans individualistic? I've, I've never noticed Well, before. this American is, and I've been working <laughs> on that for years. So, <laughs> I've heard um, this about Americans. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's interesting how um, just how we often try to, like, create, like, have the goodness— in us that's like it's very self-managed self-generated oh yeah um and what you're saying just a moment ago about like god blessing people and god actually imparting the goodness like the goodness begins with him yes um and it's maybe a little bit of a rabbit trail and maybe something that we're talking about later but i'm curious like we talk about god being good and i think and i can speak for myself like it's a little bit of an empty thing to say Mm. because i don't know if we really even know what we're saying when if we say that. Like the we sing about it like you're a good, good father, or I will sing of the goodness of God. Like right. it's it's a God nice, is good warm, all the time. fuzzy. All the time he is yeah, good. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um so where does that where does that fit into this conversation? I'm sure we'll be talking about that more, but as we think about goodness and I think a lot of us who who have grown up in church would have heard the phrase like and it's the sentence more like, um, like no one is good except God. Like you don't call yourself good. You don't call anything good except God. Right. Only God is good. So where so, does that fit in? <laughs> so that last line is Jesus talk, not any kind of, I don't know if that's a Christian band. It sounds like it is. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah. So, and we have to talk about the same thing when Jesus calls things evil as well. There's a bit of rhetoric involved with it, right? So him saying <clears throat> no one's good except for God, right? It's, it's him coming back at uh, a guy who he thinks doesn't actually understand what he's talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there is this general sense, and, and I think, I mean, maybe it would help to think of, like, the landscape of gods in the ancient Near East and in the Greco-Roman world. Gods weren't necessarily good. In fact, rarely were they good. Uh, they were often drunk, having sex with whatever they could find, breaking stuff, knocking stuff over, Create, and when, when they break and knock stuff over, it creates disasters for humans. Um, they want to sleep. You know, the famous account of Gilgamesh where they want to sleep. The humans are noisy, so they flood the world, right? Um, and to destroy every human because they're just too noisy, right? Um, so gods are really um, capricious, and many of them just – they don't care about humans. Or if they do, it's in really, you know, awkward ways. So um, – <laughs> So to have a God who, A, talks to humans is unheard of in the ancient Near East. So just Mm -hmm. that God directly talking to Abram, like that's not happening outside of like a Gilgamesh epic. Um, And then B, 
makes treaties with humans where he binds himself unconditionally to these humans um, for their good and, and animals and the earth as well with Noah, right? And that he continually wants this for all the, you know, I'm binding myself to you for the sake of all the families of the earth. It's not just about you. It's about all these other people that I care about as well. And that theme is strong throughout. And then you get to Isaiah and it's where he just reminds him, hey, all the nations are going to be coming in. Every, like this is for everybody, foreign eunuchs. Like it doesn't matter. Like everybody comes in here at the end. It's, it's really, you know, I hate to like make a big deal. Like I always feel like I'm um, not a canary in the coal mine. What's the other one? Chicken little. That's <laughs> like the other bird analogy. Like it really is remarkable and striking how good, wise, loving, just God is compared to every other system of gods in in the world. Like there's nothing like this in the world. So I don't like to make a, a huge deal about how unique the Bible is and how unique, because um, you do get lots of elements of lots of humans bear the Im- every human bears the image of God, and so they they know something about what it means to be one of His children, whether they acknowledge that or not. Um, but there is something about the the prophetic writings of Scripture that are telling us about a God that just there's nothing at all like him in the world. So I think it's appropriate to say God is good. And in some ways, we might want to say he's unique. In fact, that word in John's gospel, um, Jesus, the only begotten son, which is the King James phrase, monogenes, I mean, I think most people agree that it means his unique son. Like the, the word, it's like butter and fly. When you put them together, they mean something different. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that Jesus is actually the unique child uh, of God that does this work that shows. And when Jesus shows up, he's both telling the wicked, hey, you better get prepared because I'm, I'm fixing a place for you. But he's telling everybody else, and I'm fixing a place for you as well uh, out of my great love for humanity. So it's, it's it, the whole thing is striking from beginning to end. We just, we're just so used to it that we, mm. again, like telling people that God is, <clears throat> that God is good and loving is like teaching a fish about water and, and mm. the Western world because we've just assumed that this is the case. Yeah, kind of already saturated with it. Yeah. Which I guess is... If he could be saturated with anything, I guess it's a good thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's not a bad idea with. that this is where people start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thinking about good in like a broader, more existential sense, we live in a broken world. And obviously, it's hard to see anything as being truly, completely good today. Is there anything that's fully good today? Uh, no. Yeah, I thought you'd say that. <laughs> uh, I mean, sure. Yes. What do you want? I'll give you whatever answer you want at this point. Um, yeah, I think holy good is, uh, I think the, the biblical authors hold out that there's a time of judgment and they're on the other side of that judgment is really like the thing, the goods that everybody wants. Uh, those goods can be had now, but they're all indicative of the, the future good to come. So there is some way in which we have to say, Yes, uh, yes and no, or already not yet is what they say uh, often as a catchphrase. Um, I would also say, you know, one of the, because I've made all these claims, I haven't really backed many of them up, but uh, this, the, the idea that creation itself is good but can turn against or for something, um, I mean, that's worth justifying. Deuteronomy 28, which is a really difficult treaty passage uh, to read. And it's not difficult because the language is hard. It's difficult because it gets into how bad God is going to treat Israel when she does these things that he's saying, okay, when in the days to come, if you oppress the poor, if you do these horrible things. But it begins with the opposite. It begins with, if you listen to my voice and follow my instruction, 
then your kneading bowl will be fruitful. In other words, you won't starve. Uh, your wombs will be fruitful. Your houses will be fruitful. Your fields, your flocks, everything will flourish. And this term fruitful is, uh, again, not used very often. But then it says, but if you will not listen, right? And not listen means not just worship. It means like you oppress the poor, you uh, exploit people, you ignore God and his gifts to humanity. Um, then it says the exact same thing, but instead of blessed, it says cursed. Cursed will be your kneading bowl. Cursed will be your wombs. Cursed, right? And then it goes into a long list of very horrific curses, including cannibalism uh, as a, a result of starvation, which you end up seeing in 1 Kings 6 being uh, acted out there. Um, but what it indicates to us is it's the same earth. It's the same wombs. It's the same fields, flocks, etc. And God is saying what makes it fruitful or cursing um, is basically how you relate to me and how you relate to others. So the first, the greatest commandment and the, and the second commandment after. Um, which means that the stuff itself is good. It's how it's oriented. Uh, and, it, and, and here's where we have God kind of like the, sh you can start seeing, oh, this is what we mean when we say God doing evil. He can turn the earth itself against humans. Uh, he can turn their wounds against them. He can turn their fields and their flocks against them. Um, and you say, well, that doesn't sound loving or nice. Well, you have to ask, why is he doing it? Well, for the sake of the vulnerable who are being exploited and oppressed by these people. So it's for all the families of the earth, right? That, that kind of over the horizon view. Um, so, so the world is broken, uh, but there's a way in which it can be oriented towards proliferating fruitfulness and goodness and these kinds of things. Um, and I, I'd say this all requires discernment because, uh, the example that Josiah, our, our producer here said would work is, you know, if, if you went to Notre Dame today, or maybe right after the fire in Paris, right? I happened to go there like six months before it burned down and, and, uh, and see it. Um, but say I took my kids there and uh, showed it to them. And I was like, look, this is an example of Gothic Cathedral. And they look at this burned down Notre Dame and they're like, it's ugly. I don't like it. It smells bad. It smells like fire, you know? And, um, and there's a sense in which uh, we're a beautiful ruin, like our, our lives are a beautiful ruin, the, the earth itself is. And it, and it requires you to kind of look past the brokenness of the thing and to imagine uh, what the thing, when it operates fully functionally, might look like. Um, and so I think even when we say something is good, so I can, I was uh, counseling somebody last week where they're just telling me all these horrible things that are happening in their life right now that is making them realize all of these things they've been doing or thinking wrongly for the last couple of years. And I was at the end of it, I was just like, this is a great point in life to be at. Like, not the suffering part, but man, I can see how, like, these realizations you had, man, you had to have those realizations. And now think of all the good that's going to come on the other side of these realizations and how you're turning some things around. Um, anybody who's known uh, people who are addicted, like, you know, like, hitting bottom is painful, but you're, in some sense, you have a very redemptive hope at that very moment where they're at the bottom. Um, and so, it but... If you've never been around anybody addicted before who's hitting bottom, you might look at this and say, this is horrible. They're sick. They're throwing up. They're acting crazy, you know. Uh, so it requires discernment to know the beauty from the ruin, mm -hmm. right, uh, and what the fully functioning tovim, the, the wellness uh, version of that is. Wow. It's interesting is the more you're talking about this, the more I'm like, wow, it's it's very gray. Like we think about good and evil as being black and white. But again, like it's, it is so gray. And what you said a moment ago reminds me of um, 
a passage in Jeremiah 17 where the Lord is basically showing people that uh, like this is what blessing versus cursing looks like. Blessed is the man who does not trust a man who right. uh, who trusts in the Lord. He'll be like a, a tree planted by water. And then on the other side, it's the curse. And I remember one of the things that it says about those who are cursed is that they won't see good when it comes. Right. So it's right. not like that there's this absence of good and good is like taken from them, but they have this inability to even recognize it. Yeah. Hosea which, ends with that exact point. Um, that th- this instruction is going to be like uh, a-, a wise road to travel down for, for the wise, um, but the fool, it'll just be a stumbling block, mm. which is, I mean, you look at how people res- you know respond to the teaching of Scripture, they're like, I'm not going to do all that. So that's mm. ridiculous. That's not going to get me where I want to go. Yeah. Hmm. Well, well, this has been a really, really interesting conversation. Uh, thank you for kind of giving us an introduction to what good looks like yeah, <laughs> in light can, of this topic. Uh, I, yeah. I, want, I want to add one more thing because I think it, for me it was very clarifying when I was in seminary. Someone threw this one example out that really helped open the door for me, and that's this, um, is that, you know, if you think about cancer, is a can, cancer cells are all body cells. Uh, none of them are, cancer are not cells that come in from outside the body. Uh, body cells are fundamentally good when they're doing what they're supposed to do. What cancers do is they turn a human body cell against the body, and then they convince a bunch of other cells to do the same thing. And so I think for me, that was like the paradigm that helped me understand that it's not when we say spiritual, I mean, yes, spiritual, but cancer is also in some ways a spiritual issue because it's the orientation of the physical thing. So um, really, and, and anybody who just says, well, cancer is evil, we have to say, no, 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 no. And this, it's what good cancer research has said is basically, how do we get, how do we turn off that thing that misorientates our body cells and, and makes them cancerous in that sense? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that beautiful ruin, uh, which goes all the way into the way we think about medicine, relationships, how to construct cars, homes, buildings, et cetera. Mm. Wow. Well, if you've ever been on a passages trip before, I think you have the experience of leaving the trip, coming home, and having more questions, being more confused than you were whenever you got there. Um, And if you remember, people who helped facilitate that experience for you in Israel probably told you that that was a good thing, (laughs) to leave with more questions than you came with, to to be confused in, in a sense, and in that confusion kind of enter more into the reality of it. And I feel like that's kind of what's been happening here with the conversation around good and evil, especially as we've been talking about good. Like if you're leaving this episode, maybe a little bit more confused about good and evil than you were whenever you came, I think that's probably the right trajectory. So if that's you, be encouraged. Hang in there. Hang in there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) More to come. Yes. Uh, So for episode three, we're going to be talking about why good and evil aren't exactly opposites. So more of of the gray. Uh, Get ready for it. It's going to be a good conversation. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to season two of Discover Your Roots, The Problem of Good and Evil. To find more resources like this, subscribe to our newsletter at passagesisrael.org forward slash foundations. Again, that's passagesisrael.org forward slash foundations. You can also follow us on social media and learn more about Israel and the Bible at Passages Israel. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to subscribe and leave a five-star review. Until next time, I'm Matana DeWitt. Thanks for listening. Thank you.